When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Football Social Daily. With German Doner Kebab. Now 40 restaurants across the UK. Find out where at germandonerkebab.com. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Weekend Premier League Preview Show, giving you all the latest team news, predictions and insight ahead of a busy weekend of Premier League action. We're going to look ahead to all the Premier League games this weekend, focusing on the big ones between 4th and 5th. That's Chelsea against Tottenham. Second and third, that's Leicester City and Manchester City. And also, Arsenal against Everton, ninth against tenth. I'm Ant McGinley, and with me in the studio to help me go through all those things, I have full-time YouTuber, Steve McInerney. Hey, mate, you right? Yeah, does it feel good to say that? Yeah. I'm going to be on the door in a few months. I think I think your microphone's <laughs> the wrong way around. Oh, really? Yeah, I I'll think you're speaking around. to... There is you that, go. Is that better? There you go. That's much better. That was just like the, a metaphor for my yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also joining us, we have the Independence Northwest Senior Football God, Mark Critchley. <laughs> That's my official title. He's yeah. uh, fresh time. from uh, Man United's <laughs> latest European adventure. You look a little bit worse for what I have to say. Uh, I've, I've had about six hours sleep since Sunday, so yeah. Um, but is that, in, is that including the 90 minutes of the game? <laughs> it, it, to be fair, the first half was okay, but you, no, I mean, I'm used to it by now watching United. It is, and, it is uh, a cure for insomnia, they might say. And <laughs> alongside those two, we have chief teammaker and resident journalist, Fergal Brennan. Hello. Good evening. Right, gentlemen, so busy weekend ahead It's all getting very exciting. Let's start with uh, London Derby. Chelsea, Tottenham. Uh, Mourinho playing one of his own sides, uh, going to Chelsea. He's only got one win against Chelsea as United boss. Uh, And all the other games he's lost when he's played his teams he's previously managed. How do we see this one going? I think this is quite a difficult one to gauge because based on the facts you've just put in front of us there, that Mourinho's numbers against his former sides tend to be bad Logic would suggest that, but we all know that logic and records and the kind of general tide of things doesn't make any difference to Jose Mourinho. He's he's the king of this type of result of getting a one nil, getting a really scrappy victory. Uh, prob- well, he won't be excessively celebrating in front of the Chelsea fans, I don't think, um, in this one. But you never know. You never really yeah, can tell will. what he's going to do. <laughs> um, but despite, as you say, despite all the numbers and despite all the actual facts, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Tottenham managed to get a result out of this, just due to the fact that he is so used to doing that type of thing. But how is he going to do that? Because uh, he's lost Son this week, as well as Kane, who's still out. And, uh, I mean, is he going to play... People have been talking about playing Lamella and Ali up front. Yeah, well, the, the Leipzig game in midweek, Deli Ali stormed off uh, when he was substituted. He kind of played in this 
false nine role, but then was moved back into midfield and they tried to rejig it and they put Steven Bergvine a little bit further forward and none of these kind of combinations seem to work out. I do expect him to keep his place in the team, despite his, his tantrum when he came off, simply because Mourinho doesn't really have any of the options to, to play someone instead of him. But I think given that situation in attack, Mourinho has already started the narrative of, you know, he wants the season to end. He keeps saying that he wants it to be July 1st. He said in his press conference that if they get fourth, it'll be his biggest achievement in management. And we know this is all classic Mourinho. These types of comments, these types of uh, staging of situations are, are absolutely peak Mourinho. I can see this being a corner, set piece, Toby Alderweireld, he scored last weekend, well, one in each end. Uh, Jan Vertonghen, header, Davinson Sanchez, header, and then just backs to the wall. They're actually in form as well, aren't they? And since Mourinho's joined, that no, he's took more points than anyone else other than Klopp and Guardiola. So, like, even though they don't seem spectacular, that's, I mean, especially as a City fan, they were very unspectacular, yet somehow won that. But they're just doing a very Mourinho kind of thing. And I kind of agree that they could do this a typical Mourinho where they, they, they defend or they, they nick a goal from a set piece um, I think Mourinho as well obviously you know, there's the Chelsea fact and also we'll probably remember that I mean last time they played Chelsea they I think it was 2-0 wasn't it I think or something like that uh, but either yeah. way they, 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 off, didn't yeah, yeah. They, yeah, exactly, William, yeah. yeah and they well, Chelsea are much better and obviously things have changed a lot since then given Chelsea's form but Mourinho will bear that in mind and um, I wouldn't be surprised given Lampard's Relative, he's relatively new to management if he thinks well you know maybe I'll try what we tried that day I think they played at the back and they kind of played a little bit differently I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to ate that and as a result Mourinho tries to set up for that and they kind of slightly counter each other out I think it might be quite a negative game of football um, which would play more into uh, into Spurs hands than anything but I think it's going to be um, when people say Mourinho masterclass they usually mean a, a dour game don't they and I've got a feeling it's going to be that I wonder when he says this could be his, his crowning achievement. How many crowning achievements can you have? Because uh, second, United. second with United, yeah. yeah. And which would come first in that, that, that list? Could be a Premier League title if, if the UEFA investigation goes completely the wrong way for Manchester yeah, well, City. He will love so. that. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and so I did hear something this week about how ironic it would be if the first piece of silverware he wins at. Tottenham is actually for a different club <laughs> when he collects that. I can see him coming up and getting an open top bus tour on his own, ripping it off Pep Guardiola. <laughs> uh, so th- this week Chelsea were in the news, obviously, because they've uh, secured the signing of Zayek coming at the start of next season. Does that indicate that that's something that they really need in the team at the minute? I think... Um the, the biggest problem with Chelsea really has been finishing and, and, and goals. And you've seen that with Lampard's team selections. You know, he's, I think he's tried to make a point a lot of the time with the players that he's uh, plays that he's chosen and he's he's kind of made a point of not always picking Olivier Giroud even though it was a a bit mounting pressure um towards like uh, fans and pundits alike saying you know this guy he's always he's always come in and done a job and you know we saw him the other night against United I know the goal was disallowed but he he always manages to he, he always makes an impact off the bench I think so there's a few questions around that um I think Chelsea yeah like the biggest miss is going to be Kante because he came off yeah. early the other night, didn't he? And, and he's out for this. He's out for this. He's yeah. out. He's out. He's, I think it's going to be about two or three weeks. I think so. You, you know that he just he just ties everything together in the midfield. And when Chelsea was impressing us so much at the start of the season, a lot of the time it was because he was making up for this big gap in the middle of the park where perhaps Lampard's inexperience as management was leaving gaps and spaces there, and he was making up for it. So 
Uh, I was really surprised actually in in December when they managed to get that 2-0 result at Tottenham. I know Tottenham went down to 10, but yeah. it did feel like, especially we were saying, it feels like we were saying all the same things before that game as we're saying now. It was like master against apprentice and this is going to be a bit of a schooling for Lampard. So it wouldn't surprise me in that respect if they got a decent result, but I think it's like seven or eight home games that they've lost in all competitions this season, yeah. Chelsea. According to BBC, Tommy Abraham's back in the squad potentially, which is right. obviously, I'm not sure if he's going to, you know, not sure if that's entirely correct, but that's what um, the preview was saying. So that'd be a massive, massive boost for them, wasn't it? Because um, I think as well, Abraham's, he's got a good attitude, Abraham. I think he'd really, you know, really kind of revel coming back into a game of this, knowing that Bachelet and Giroud have kind of struggled a little bit. And even like uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek apparently is available as well. And I know he's obviously not played in ages, but once again, he's kind of one of their own, so to speak. Mm. And um, him, he, he could be forced into a very quick, you know, uh, quick comeback, basically, given Kante's injury. But um, I think Chelsea's situation is, I think it was kind of inevitable, wasn't it, really? Given, yeah. you know, given this, uh, I, I don't, thankfully, I don't think any of the fans have given Lampard any stick or anything like that. But um, I do agree that he, with uh, Mark, that uh, Lampard has been making messages, you know, clearly to the board, especially, you know, with the signing, you'll be really happy with Ziyech. But, I think where they're at is kind of always going to happen. They're always going to drop off, especially given how young their squad is. You know, it's, they're not going to be, they're not going to have the uh, the, uh, the experience to kind of see the season out in the format they started it. But um, I think Abraham could be a really, really big boost from. Yeah. Uh, Callum Hudson is also a 50-50 for a start and uh, something else that caught my eye pardon the pun is Andre Christensen is being passed to play with a mask doesn't seem to be <laughs> happen as much anymore you always seem to be like <laughs> uh, there'd be somebody with a special surgical mask or whatever to protect them through the game and uh, that, that seems to be something that is not maybe it's just not as much of a big deal as it used to be. Do you remember that? Do you remember Wayne Rooney had the huge gash on his forehead and he had that kind of like headband that went across for a few games? Yeah, it wasn't yeah. quite as 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 uh, iconic as the Terry Butcher bandage with no. the blood on. <laughs> but I remember, I remember seeing it when he actually took it off, and it was like oh you know, that was I just think in his face. It's hard, <laughs> <laughs> uh, does anyone remember Kandu Saba? The guy used to put a mask yeah, when he scored. Yeah, yeah, Pull him straight sock. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. That, that was a uh, was, was it a Zorro mask or a Spider Man mask? Or something? I think it was Zorro, wasn't it? Was it Zorro? I think yeah, he, might yeah, yeah, he used to pull it out yeah. when he scored as part of his celebration. Yeah. He didn't score yeah. very often, yeah. I think. Yeah, but. I mean, I don't know about you, but like anything that had been in my socks during a football game, the last thing I wanted to do was put it <laughs> anywhere near my face. Uh, so, uh, looks like Troy Parrott is is probably not going to be playing again, which really goes into the uh, what we always say about Mourinho talks a good talk, but doesn't really give the youth a chance. Um, do, do we think that they're missing a trick there by maybe experimenting with putting Ali up front and not using the striker that they've got in the team? I, mean, I don't know anything about him personally. Does, does, well, like, watch does Mourinho, that's the question. He's, he's 18, according to Google, so he's only a kid. I mean, I've always thought, by the way, generally, like with, uh, when it comes to using youngsters, the one position that's relatively risk-free is probably striker. You know, like Because, yeah. I mean, largely, they can't... They, you could say they cost the game in terms of missing a chance, but... They're not going to cost you a goal, so like exactly. the safety of your teams. I always think that's the kind of place where strikers, as well, they're such an emotive bunch, aren't they? Strikers that if they score a goal, then a star can be born. And like Rashford, for example, is good. Yeah, uh, he I was, was just thinking he wasn't even the United's biggest star. He wasn't even that playing that well for the um, the under 18s and the under 23s at the time. Genuinely, most people were kind of surprised by his sudden elevation. But I always think of youngsters, a striker, give him a go because you never know. They could do like a, a McCady and disappear, but they could also do McCady and score a couple of goals for a couple of games. But you the, know, the risk level. Is so low. I, I got into a 
conversation slash row with someone on Twitter about him uh, yeah, week because he's, he's a, well oh, minor row. I know that's very unlikely. <laughs> um, he's obviously I've got a horse in the race. He's an, an Ireland international, but he's he's in a position whereby, as Steve said, this is so low risk. He if he's an option off the bench for fifteen or twenty minutes, he's not going to lose you the game. He's not going to give the ball away, I don't think, and then cost you a game. It just seems like Mourinho was dug in on this particular one. And yeah, Rashford's a great example, but Mason Greenwood's also a brilliant example. You look at their records over the last 18 months, they've got identical goal-scoring records at under-18 and under-23 level. Parrott was the top scorer in the Champions League youth level competition so far this season before Pochettino brought him into the first-team squad back in November. And he's just been left to to drift. He played in the League Cup and he got a couple of minutes against Burnley under Mourinho. So this isn't damage. Sorry, this is damaging him and it isn't benefiting anybody. And I just think Mourinho's handling of it. There was a famous Instagram picture from the game at Leipzig in midweek where Parrot was up in the crowd with his mates watching the game. If you're an 18 year old member of the first team squad you should at least be on the bench behind the bench with the other players you shouldn't be sat right up in the in the gods of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium watching them get beat by Leipzig when you could have been an option off the bench so yeah Steer is right it could just be a nothing he could come in flatter to deceive but given the fact that he physically has a record of scoring goals in the last 12 months which virtually nobody else in the Tottenham first team does why not at least have him on the bench as yeah. as an as an option for Ireland as well? Like yeah. Fresh, like yeah, at the senior level, which yeah. is only I one think, game, but still. I think to speak in Mourinho's defence, which is not something that I normally do, especially <laughs> not when he was the United manager up here. Um, Parrott is eighteen, and he is just, just eighteen, well, yeah. just yeah. turned yeah. eighteen. And I think you were saying there about how there's less uh, perhaps responsibility, or it's, it's a position up front where you can get away with playing a kid. I think it depends on the manager. Yeah, and, that's and a good the, point. We know, we know about him. Mourinho, how much how specific demands he especially cost, makes Yeah, of, of attacking players. Yeah. They've got to do so much more than just uh, stand up front and hope one goes in off their ankles or the shin, the shin one in or, or anything. So uh, I think... I I'm a little bit skeptical about about the, all the noise around Parrot. I, I can see I can see that he's obviously a talented youth team goal scorer, and he deserves perhaps an opportunity to go out and prove that on loan or in a few games in the cups and stuff. But I would be a little reluctant. They have got options. I mean, Lucas Mora or Bergwijn. If, if Alves is not sense. working, you know there are options there. Delia, for Spurs. Delia, Delia may as well be like a, a false nine. Yeah, anyway, yeah. He's, a, not, he's more of an attacker than a midfielder. Yeah, he's, he's always and he was at his best really when he was a kind of like a second striker yeah, off, yeah. off Kane, wasn't he? So yeah. Well, Mourinho kept him for a specific reason. He admitted this because if he went in January, he'd have missed the homegrown quota, and now he is classed as a homegrown player. Mm. So that adds to their Champions League uh, number of homegrown players. So yes, it is for the greater good of Tottenham, but. Everything is for the greater good of Mourinho and, and it just seems very unfair on, as you say, a kid who no one's expecting to come in with the rescue act, but could be an option off the bench because Mora's goal scoring record's been pretty poor of late. Bergvine's only just arrived at the club. Ali's not a, a striker. Eric Lamela's goal scoring record is, is is dreadful. Well, as it stands, Chelsea sit in fourth place uh, with forty one points, one ahead of Tottenham. And of course, uh, both those uh, places could potentially get Champions League uh, this season, depending <laughs> on what happens. No. <laughs> a, a, a little pip out of Steve McInerney, who's a Manchester City fan, as am I. So let's move on now to, well, before we do that, a little prediction. What way do we think it's going to go very quickly? Chelsea Tottenham. Uh, I've moved from narrow Tottenham win to draw one all. Um, I think 
that this is going to be a very Mourinho-esque performance from Tottenham, but I think with Abraham back in the team, I think Chelsea have got a really good goal threat and they should should not lose this game because also that will then drag them into this battle for fourth, which they seem to look quite odds on for about a month ago. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to go the opposite. I'm kind of leaning towards a narrow Tottenham victory. I think I think Mourinho's going to He's got the experience. He knows how to how to win this sort of game. So yeah, one 0 I'll say for one all as well. I reckon. Okay. Uh, so let's move on then to uh, the two cities: Leicester City versus Manchester City. Uh, Leicester with just one win in their last six in the Premier League, and Vardy hasn't scored since the last time uh, they played against Man City. That was December the twenty-first. Uh, eight games in all competitions. At the time, he he was the leading scorer. Um, at least the leading English goal scorer in the Premier League. Um, what's happened there? What's going on with Vardy? Any ideas? I think it's quite old, isn't it? <laughs> 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 Maybe it's a bit of drop in form in general. He had that kid as well, didn't yeah. he? And an injury as well. A it's a combination of things. Yeah. I think it, there was an element with Vardy. I remember looking at some, some statistics at the time when he was scoring all those goals every week. And I'm not going to be able to quote the precise number off the top of my head, but it's, it's, in terms of like conversion of shots into goals we're talking at a rate of around it was something like 30% or something like that which is it, it doesn't sound like a lot but it's actually insane when you think about it the the, yeah, the proportion think- of his number of shots that were going in it was never really sustainable and, and maybe what we're seeing is a kind of natural cooling off XG and all that yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I seem to remember two seasons ago when Salah got the golden boot I think he his conversion rate was like 11 or 12% right, something right. like that yeah. and it was just he was having lots and lots of shots mm-hmm. and that's what led to it but you're right that that is pretty frightening uh other teams' news from there, Hamza Chowdhury's out suspended uh, and Diddy's likely to miss out. They're still managing his return through a knee injury. Now, we saw City in action on Wednesday night against West Ham. That was the game that was rearranged because of the deluge of storms. Was that Kiara? Kira, that Kira. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, anybody listening in America or Canada, you would have looked at that and gone, yeah, whatever. I hate that storm. But, I got uh, stranded in Budapest. Really? Yeah, literally. The plane I was meant to get on got struck by lightning twice. Wow! Yeah, so uh, oh. they couldn't find the. You're taking plane. all this in your stride, Steve. <laughs> yeah, no. In the air, it got struck by. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Like, um, the, oh, that'd have been cool, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> no, it well, would not have been cool. Well, apparently, it's quite frightening. Well, the natural Faraday cages, so it's fine. The size yeah. is still, but, still, that, I don't want to. I don't want that to happen. But they couldn't find the exit point of the lightning, so they couldn't take it off, and it, it was an overnight cancellation. So we had to. And then they couldn't fix the plane, so we had to get a new plane flowing in. Oh, that's how planes get in, I guess. So, so they, they, they couldn't find the exit point, so did they think the lightning bolt was still in there somewhere? It's <laughs> knocking about. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as a result of Steel Kiara, messed up my holiday and also messed up Manchester City's game against West Ham. It did, uh, but the, it was replayed on Wednesday and City came out 2-0 winners in that game. Yes. Still a little bit of rain, not quite as uh, bad as it would have been had they gone ahead with that fixture. Um how how do you see this going for City's point of view? Because obviously all eyes are turning now because the gap's massive. Uh, yeah. the, I remember like laughing to myself when they said after after the result they're saying so the, the City have narrowed the gap to twenty two points. <laughs> uh, I, I just couldn't think of that being narrow, but that's the result. That's what the distance is. Obviously, City have got the rice set on the Champions League, especially with everything else that's gone on off the pitch this last week. So there's even more focus and more pressure on that as a competition to win, and it's the you know not exactly a knockover in terms of uh, Real Madrid away yeah it's um, it's a big game this actually I think um, I think that I think the Guardiola will take this really seriously because um, of the, the R word he keeps quoting about, about rhythm for the players and all that kind of stuff and um, I thought the West Ham game um, was okay it was okay you know I was I was hoping for maybe a little bit more fire but the players were professional they looked a little bit rusty I thought and I think this game has come at a really good time ahead of the Real Madrid so kind of like a preview really isn't it I mean this game feels like um 
it doesn't feel it's both important and unimportant at the same time because every City fan really is focused on the Madrid game and, and the players will be subconsciously focused on the Madrid game as well but uh, I, I guess we want to finish second uh, and Leicester is probably just about the exact calibre of game I reckon we need before we play Real Madrid in terms of you had, it seemed like West Ham was almost like a friendly because they were that poor then you've got a proper good game to really kind of heighten the senses uh, against a good team I still think City will best I think they will do I think um, Leicester as good as they are there is a gap still between them and Leicester uh, Liverpool Man City even if the points are closer I still think there's a massive quality gap um, but I think they'll use this basically as a really I think this will be key I think the players will really be up for it as well for City because of the game that's Leaving on the horizon, I think basically this is almost like an audition as well. You don't really hear that much these days, um, you know, where it seems like, oh, they've got a chance to get into the, the big game. But I think this is actually one of those games where the players will be thinking, well, you know, th- th- there is spots available in the squad. And if we impress against Leicester, then we might actually play against Madrid. And that doesn't really happen very often these days. But I think that might be a, a really weird kind of factor. Is this a sign of the times? Because I remember, you know, when. when- Man United were going out to play the uh, the inaugural FIFA World Club Championship and they fielded a weekend side for the FA Cup and everybody was up in arms. And now we're looking at City, potentially, and other clubs are looking at this, n- taking their eye off the ball in the Premier League to focus on the Champions League. I don't think they'll play a week's team for what it's worth. I just think they'll probably maybe be a little bit... I think they'll play a very strong team, actually. Probably the team you'll probably want to play, but... But yeah, what you're going to say? Sorry, sorry yeah, City circumstances are pretty unique, though, aren't yeah. they? Because uh, they're going to have several of these games between now and the end of the season, and it's a shame. I remember this fixture. I remember point, picking it out in November and thinking, "Oh, well, that'll be a pretty key day in the title race." Then you know, we even <laughs> even though Liverpool was still ahead by about what ten, I mean, nine I mean, or eleven points, they still have to win five games to seal it up. <laughs> you're right. Okay. Well, there. <laughs> well, give so, it five games. All then. to play for, guys. <laughs> yeah. Race you. But um, but yeah, but there's going to be plenty of these now, and then also especially because of because of the Champions League ban, and it just kind of leaves City. In, we said it before, no man's land, uh, where you where you are grasping at things like rhythm. I do think Stephen's right. I think Pep was when when this rearranged. I remember him saying at the time, and and there being noises coming out of the club that this is actually not that bad because yeah. we do, we do want a bit more preparation before Madrid, and it wasn't ideal the way it was before. But it is it is difficult to find something to really to really hook onto this game because I yeah. even think with Leicester, like they are significantly far ahead of Chelsea, and given that City's place is now at risk as well, you know they they should be fine for the Champions League. So there really isn't there really isn't that much to hang out on here. I it don't was think. City were comfortably the better side last time in two met. I think it was yeah. like yeah. Yeah. was it was yeah. it two one or three one two three one two was it two nil was it uh, two one two, two one because Vardy, Vardy scored and yeah, then we. Yeah. Um, but either way, City dominated that game. Something like twenty-five yeah. shots to five or something like that. I remember yeah. looking, thinking, "Yeah, that was a, a lot more comfortable than we thought." And that was what really reinforced that as good as Leicester have gone, they are probably slightly punching above their weight to an extent. Because yeah. really good team. Like I really, I really rate Brendan Rodgers. I think he gets a lot of undeserved stick. Um, but I think when it comes to I think they've got like a weird kind of slight mental block, Leicester, because obviously they are where they are, but they probably subconsciously know they're not quite at the level Manchester City are. And then when they played City, they kind of reverted to... They went a bit more defensive than they usually are last time. They went a little bit more cautious and it wasn't the kind of swashbuckling football usually associated with Brendan Rodgers. And I think that kind of probably was a, a psychological thing. Um, and I've got a feeling that it'll probably be very similar again, that they'll look to try and keep people behind the ball, even though obviously... Um, they've got the home factor I, I think it'll be very very similar very similar Fergal there was uh, a lot of chat about Raheem Sterling this week he's missing the game uh, through injury but he still managed to have a lot of the pre-game build up chat about him what's been going on there? 
uh, this all centres around what I would go with diplomatically, uh, an ill-advised interview that he did with a Spanish newspaper, Diario As. Uh, does, he, does he speak Spanish? I don't think so. No, he doesn't. Uh, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't so. I wouldn't want to second-guess Mr Sterling, but I'm going to say probably not. Um, essentially, we, we chatted about this on the, on Friday's podcast where we kind of said, or maybe a little bit's been made out of this, that you know we're, we're grasping at straws and looking for something that doesn't exist. And then the front page got released where he's got a Manchester City shirt on one shoulder and a Real Madrid shirt on the other. And I just think in the climate that, uh, that Manchester City are in at the moment, given the UEFA ban, given the fact that that's going to go to an appeal, given the fact that Pep Guardiola has been quite forceful on City's position, uh, that they are going to fight the ban, I just think this is very, very ill-advised. Um, obviously, ahead of a big European game, we, we were chatting before we started recording, you are going to speak to uh, publications from other countries. It's natural in a press conference for questions to be asked and potentially even like a little dangling one of could you see yourself here or could you see yourself there? But the fact that this is actually a staged interview, I don't, I'm not saying Sterling to Real Madrid next summer, watch this space, but it just seems very poorly advised He's always, for um, Sterling to do it. I just I don't see what he gets from this other than negative coverage being thrown on him when he's not even 100% going to be fit to play against Madrid. He's genuinely always talked about um, how he like love to play for Madrid. That's not he's not that's kind of one of those really badly kept secrets that he has. But now's not the time for this. Well, no, hundred percent. But um, it, it, I'm very disappointed. It's not even just the way it's happened. It's the things he said. Like I, I'm trying to find the exact quote, but it was one of those things where it was a quote where something like, "Oh, is the camera actually on? Are you recording this?" Or so it was as yeah, playful yeah. as that, as if to say, like, "Oh, I can't tell you what I really think." It's like. Why would you do that to a Madrid publication the day before, only a few days after your agents come out and said, oh, no, he's focused on the future, um, and after the Champions League ban? To me, it's really obviously um, come and get me. I think it obviously is. Um, and I, I don't understand. I don't blame a London lad for not feeling you know, overly connected to Manchester City. Obviously, he's a Manchester City fan or whatever, um, and he's never really seemed to be one that shies away from a move because he's only young and he's already moved from, you know, QPR as a kid to... Was it QPR as a kid? QPR, yeah, to, yeah. QPR yeah. to Liverpool, then yeah. obviously a big move in early age to Man City. And for him, he probably always just wanted to play for Real Madrid. And I think he, I think he is doing it. I'm really disappointed by the timing now. I think um, it's... There's, whether he wants to play... I th- Madrid has always been used as leverage in by 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 Sterling's camp by Sterling and 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 his people against City and I think you know Fergal I I agree from you saying this is not the right time to do it if you want to seem like the most loyal club player and you know a Manchester City legend but it's the perfect time to do it if you want to put a bit of pressure on City and get a new contract maybe oh yeah yeah uh, which which you know we may see you know and, and if that happens in a six months time people will be like well. Raheem Sterling, what a City legend! They got banned from the Champions League for two years, but he signed a new contract and given us two of his best years of his career here. You know, so there's a lot, there's a lot at play, there's a lot at stake, and I think it's. I agree, it's it's it's, it's a t- transparent move by yeah. by Sterling to to go and do this now. Steve, I just wanted to ask quickly yeah. if he is fit for the Champions League game against Real Madrid, and this intensifies or it doesn't die down. Does he still start? He'll start. Pep will play him 100. He always plays him. Um, I don't think Pep will really pay much attention to that. Pep won't be here by the time that's an issue, you know. So I think you'll just get on with it and just play him anyway. Well, we're going to take a break in a moment, but just your predictions from that, given all those. Uh, yeah, I I would follow on from what Steve said. Leicester have been impressive, but they do still seem to have a. I don't want to say an inferiority complex because that that's unfair on Leicester, but they do still have this little bit of a block when they play Liverpool or they play Man City where they can't quite seem to be their normal selves. Uh, And they're not in great form at the minute. 
luckily saved by the fact they've got quite a, a strong cushion in, in uh, third place at the minute. So City 2-1 I'm going for. Uh, I'd like to see Vardy get back amongst the goals, but I, I think City will have enough. Uh, I think that it's City. I'm going for City two now. I think. I think Leicester have been, like you say, they've been out of form basically since they they dropped those points against Norwich back in December. It's it, it's gone off a cliff really, and and they're kind of limping over the line. I still expect them to get Champions League, but I don't think they're the team that they were in the autumn. So so City, yeah, for me. I'm going three um, one Man City. I think um, be very similar. Early goal, Leicester City eventually control it. Right, well, I put all those into the supercomputer and it says uh, 2 0 Leicester. Uh, right, so, uh, we're going to take a slight break there, but we'll be back in a moment. We're going to talk about Arsenal, Everton, and all the other games taking place in the Premier League this weekend, including what we're calling the smallest stadium derby. See if you can figure out who we're talking about, and we'll be back in a moment. Football Social Daily with German gourmet doner kebabs, made with our signature sauces. Social. Welcome back to the Football Social Daily Weekend Premier League Preview Show. Remember to hit subscribe if you like the show and you're enjoying it. Uh, there's a new podcast out every single day. I'm joined in the studio uh, by Fergal, Mark and Steve. We're looking through the games. We've already done two of the big ones. Uh, we're looking at Arsenal and Everton right now. And after that, uh, we'll answer that question of uh, which game we're calling the smallest stadium derby. <laughs> so uh, down to uh, London for Everton as they take on Arsenal, who unbelievably are unbeaten in 2020. I did. I was very surprised by this. Yeah, to, to a bold take here, by the way. On. Arsenal to make a really mad uh, run at fourth. No, that's really bold. But like the beacons. Sorry, like the beacons. Yeah, I can get on board with that. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm just going to check now, but I'm pretty sure I just looked at the table and they're sat in tenth. They're currently seven points behind. <laughs> Ten, I mean, it's one of the seasons where it's like there's not much. In it. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a bold claim. Let's go for it's it. Well, the only need to get fifth. I think. I think, I think they're going to win. Going to have like win about nine out of twelve or something like that. Okay, wow. which might not be enough. So they need, they, <laughs> I don't know. They need to start winning more games. As you say, they're unbeaten, but there's a lot of draws that have been meshed into that. There's four draws they've had since the turn of the year. So if they were to make a run, you know, I appreciate Steve saying they might get Champions months, League. Really. Um, I thought it was six points, never mind. But, <laughs> but to even get Europa League, they need to start turning these draws into wins. Um, we chatted about it on Friday's podcast and Arteta's kind of slow burner. I don't like to use the, the word revolution. I think it should be banned uh, when any new manager comes into any football club. Um, <laughs> I think what it should be is a case of Arteta is a good manager, leave him alone and let him manage. Um, and I think in terms of this game, this this is a peak game that Arsenal need to win if they want to get Europa League or make Steve happy and, and get Champions League. I think Everton are an absolute textbook rival for a Europa League spot at the moment. It's a home game. Yes, obviously there's a long journey coming back from Greece after beating Olympiacos. Great result for them. But yeah. it's but these things these things can't be uh, an excuse given where Arsenal want to be again, and long-term seeing where they want to get back to. Coming all that way can't be an excuse. They need to be professional on Sunday against Everton and get three points. And I'm confident that they are. Uh, Everton, I still don't think they're fully settled under Ancelotti. Um, he's obviously improved them significantly from the Marco Silva disaster that was the last couple of weeks of him being there. But I still think, based on their results, that for me, they still need a few goals to win a game. 
the Watford game a fortnight ago, Crystal Palace in their last game, they scored three in both games, the two-all draw against Newcastle. Everything still feels a bit scrambled. They always feel like they'll concede a goal and then they'll have to score two or three to get through and everything still seems a little bit of a mess. Um, and against Arsenal, you would think, who are better than those three sides, they won't be given the amount of chances to get two goals or get three goals. So that's probably going to be maybe Everton's fall down in the next month because Arsenal have, have shown a bit more consistency than them. But in saying that, it wouldn't be Arsenal if they didn't shoot themselves in the foot at some stage. I think uh, with Everton, I've been pretty impressed with with what Ancelotti's done since he's come in. I think uh, that that game against Liverpool in the FA Cup against the kids, that, that, that kind of distorted a lot of the narrative around it. But I think also at the same time, when you look at it, they have played a lot of teams that are struggling at the wrong end of the table. Uh, I think it's like seven of the last eight are all bottom half and then the next lot is all the top half. We've lost one so, 11, by the way, which is pretty good as well. Yeah, well, exactly. So, But how much of that is is kind of factored? Are we factoring in the schedule and all that? So yeah. I think the jury's still out in a lot of ways and, and, and this is, it's a bit of a litmus test for them, this, because if they can go to the Emirates and get a decent result, then you start to be, become a little bit more convinced that the tables have turned there and Ancelotti's you know perhaps even pushing for like if we're putting Arsenal in the Champions League race then we can't really rewrite Everton at this stage I, I feel we? like an idiot now I feel like, they won't make it but like I think they'll, I think they'll surprise believe, people believe come on no I, I it, like there are so only, much conviction uh, should we say anything with enough conviction people will we'll go for it uh, but like um, in general at Arsenal they're just I'm just really impressed with them obviously because I'm paying attention because of uh, the Arteta link with Man City but I mean they're the only team unbeaten with Liverpool in 2020 you know they're uh they're on a season's best run according to the stats in front of me like with uh, the 1-2 and drawn 4 which is not that impressive but to bear in mind the shambles they were before they started they started to defend better now they're keeping clean sheets they've got like um, uh, a breakout star on the young winger lad what's he got uh, Saka. Saka. Saka yeah he's yeah. got like the most assists for an Arsenal now he's got the most assists like 8 I think they're just basically creating chances they are scoring goals they look happy they're, they're playing good football um, and they're not losing games which is always good uh, as soon as it starts to they start, they're starting to stop conceding goals. They're starting to uh, keep clean sheets. Um, I think this will be, if they keep this one, it'll be the third clean sheet in a row. I just like this Arsenal team. I think they're going to get better and better. Um, and I think they're going to win this game, uh, despite what Ancelotti's done there. I think this is a very encouraging Arsenal team with a lot of youngsters as well, which is really good to see. But on paper, you'd be looking at it because as well as Arteta's done, this is still only his second month as a manager, really. Yep. Uh, and Ancelotti is one of the most revered managers in world football. So f- from that point of view, you would maybe want to be giving the edge slightly towards uh, Ancelotti. I mean, you you, t- you lot are a lot more technically gifted when it comes to tactics and analysing that than I am. So what is it that Ancelotti's done at Everton that's that's made the difference there to their results? Because they, they, they were, as you said, going off a cliff and they've turned it around and... You know, it, it could do me wonders because at this rate, if, if they do get back up to sixth, my prediction for the table that I made at the start of the season is going to be almost perfect. <laughs> I think what he's done in an attacking sense is he's given confidence to players who under Silva didn't really know what they were meant to be doing, didn't know what runs they were meant to be making, didn't know what positions they were meant to be taking up in and around the box when they, when they had the ball and they were breaking with it. Now we're starting to see some nice football from Bernard, we're starting to see goals from Richarlison, we're starting to see goals from Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but... Again, I think a lot of this is tempered by let's not run away with ourselves. It's it's goals and games against teams around them in the table. As I mentioned, the last three games, they've scrabbled around and found goals. That's not taking anything away from them. But I think at the back, there's still major issues, which for a manager coming with a big Serie A Italian experience, we're all quite surprised. Maybe it's a little bit short-sighted to say, oh, we just expected an Italian manager to be very good in terms of setting a defence up. But... 
they've actually been quite poor in terms of their positioning, in terms of set-piece defending, and he, and he keeps changing his back line. He's had a back three, he's tried a back four, he's tried a back five in certain games, and he doesn't really seem to know which pieces of the jigsaw fit in. And I think defensively, that's where they're still falling down. Mina, Michael Keane, they're still really keen to win the ball instead of maybe taking a step back, looking to get a knockdown and build from there. And they're conceding a lot of goals from mistakes and that needs to be eradicated by Ancelotti. So I think he's he's breathed a lot of life into certain players that needed it going forward. But at the back, there's still a lot of work to do. I think the, I agree, yeah. And although I have been quite impressed with Mason Holgate when he's played this season, I thought he's had a, he's had a kind of a little bit of a breakout year for Everton there. Uh, though his place isn't really assured, is it, with, with no. Keane coming back? Um, the, the problem with Everton I've always thought and this predates Ancelotti as well was that in that midfield there's just not that substance that they you, you, remember how important Idrissa Gay was for him yeah. and he's now gone to Paris Saint-Germain and he's playing like you know one of the I know it's the French league but, but he's playing like one of yeah. the better the, the better destructive midfielders in, in Europe um, and then in his place now you, there's pairings like Sigurdsson and, and Schneiderlin and it's never been that convincing in terms of controlling the the tempo and the rhythm of a game so I think that's something that might only be solved in the summer uh, and we'll see if he, if he gets time to fix that but I've been and Delph's a bit of a walking red card as yeah, well. like he's been Delph. good in patches for them but he's been what he was brought in for was as you say a bit of an ex- experienced head that destroyer in midfield and he he seems off the pace. Yeah, Andre Gomez missing as well since since that. Although injury. Gomez could be back uh, for this game as well, he could he could make it onto the bench for that game, which is exciting. Just looking at the table, though, uh, what's interesting about that for all the it seems very much just the, the way we've reviewed it there, more slightly <laughs> towards Arsenal than towards Everton. But Everton are still two points ahead of them, and Arsenal are actually I just worked this out. Arsenal are closer to the bottom three than they are to the top three. Champions League, here we come. <laughs> <laughs> You're determined to destroy this, aren't you? You heard it here first. <laughs> so the takeaway from this podcast is Arsenal are either going to be top four or bottom three. Is that what we're going for? <laughs> Pretty much. There we go. Oh, yeah, podcast we of extremes. Uh, other things we could see is uh, Ozil could be back after childbirth. And, uh, Ozil gave wow. birth. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Maybe <laughs> everyone's giving him too much of a hard time. Yeah, he's been yeah. carrying a baby for nine months. <laughs> and uh, I think he's been carrying one for a lot longer and Theo Walcott is uh, coming back to his hold at home as well uh, so all that considered what are we saying for this game uh, Arsenal to win uh, 2-1 maybe 3-1 uh, as I say Everton can't seem to keep a clean sheet particularly away from home and I think Arsenal's forward players are starting to click back into gear and I think the Europa League fighting sides Arsenal have got the best attackers Lacazette and, and Aubameyang are better than what Everton have got they're better than other sides that are in there Sheffield United I would personally say better than what United have got. Um, and this, yeah. if, if Arsenal are going to get in the Europa League, they need to win this game and they need to, to start turning one point into three points. So yeah, 3-1 Arsenal. Um, I reckon this is a nailed on draw. Just Not even just because of how many games Arteta has drawn already at Arsenal, but the, the, the two pretty evenly matched sides, I think. Two teams going through periods of transition. We still don't really know what to make of them. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's 1-1. I think Arsenal win is 2-0. I think they'll win it. I just think they'll. Um, uh, Everton can see goals away. Uh, Arsenal started to score goals, started to keep clean sheets. I guess I'm very pro Arsenal today. I don't know what's happened, but I think they're going to win it. It's refreshing to see them enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. All, all those predictions stats into the supercomputer. It says four uh, nil Everton. Uh, right. Oh. Uh, so uh, before the break, we said we were going to be talking about the smallest stadium derby, uh, which is taking place this weekend. And uh, did you figure it out? 
Well, obviously did we... you did, because you, <laughs> you knew what it was. You're here. Uh, that's Burnley Bournemouth. Bournemouth at the bottom of the table in terms of attendance with how many? Uh, 11,329. Wow. Tiny, isn't it? If you're lucky enough to get a, a seat there, that's what I was going to say. And uh, Burnley, massive by comparison. Almost twice the size, but still uh, second from bottom in the Premier League. Yeah, 21,944. So dwarf in the vitality, but in comparison to the rest of the Premier League, still pretty diddy. You can tell that that's a pretty small diddy. man syndrome there, isn't it? That they've put the 44 on the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Burnley-Bournemouth. Now, interesting seasons for both of these clubs because uh, towards the end of last year, Burnley seemed to be on, on the way down. They were in terrible form. They've gone right back up to mid-table and Bournemouth have kind of bounced down and started to come back up as well, but they're still in danger. Where do we see this going, Mark? Um, I think that, yeah, these are two sides that have picked up a few wins of late and, and, and kind of got a little bit of form. Uh, I remember coming on this podcast a few weeks ago and we were, we were all saying that Bournemouth were down, basically. But the, the fact of the matter is that, apart from really Norwich at that end of the table, it's so compacted that like a, a couple of wins just, just moves you right up the table and, and, and gets you clear. So, um, and then and then Burnley. I mean, if we're talking about Arsenal going for the Champions League, they're, they're on level on points with Arsenal. So, anything's possible at the minute. I would. I think, uh, given that Burnley are at home, I think I seem to remember them beating Bournemouth four 0 at Turf Moor last year. I reckon. Uh, I reckon a Burnley win for this one. I'm just looking at the uh, the next fixture we got up, and I can't remember a weekend we've had where so many teams have been playing the team next to them. Uh, because uh, Crystal Palace, who are currently in 14th, taking on Newcastle in 13th. Of course, we started the show today uh, with Man City against Leicester, that's second against third. Then you got uh, Chelsea and Tottenham fourth and fifth. <laughs> and then we've also just done Everton-Arsenal which was ninth and tenth. So here we go down to just is that me? Is that really odd? Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, the quirk, quirk of the. Uh, only someone with your inquisitive yeah. mind would have found that. Ant, I think, <laughs> um, with no disrespect to Newcastle or Crystal Palace fans, I, I wouldn't expect this to be as exciting as those other three games that you've mentioned. Um, these two are just kind of limping along now. I think until the end of the season, we've chatted before about you know, the forty-point mark being safe. I think, given the way the season's going this season, given well, of course, it's this season. Um, probably 37-38 is likely to be enough to stay up. Yeah. Um, Palace just need a few wins. They're on 30 as it stands. Newcastle on 31. Palace's form has, has nosedived massively. Uh, no win in eight in the Premier League. And I think there's just, there's only so long you can survive doing what they're doing, which is very, very, very organised. Try and get the ball to Zaha. He might create something. And then the likes of Jordan Ayew getting five goals a season or Benteke getting one goal a season, something like that. And it's starting to hit home for them now. Luckily, I think they've got enough points in the bank already to be safe, but they are dropping, dropping, dropping. And I think if sides around them were to get a little bit of energy into them and start to move on, then they could get sucked into it. I think as it stands, they're okay. There's no need to be panic stations just yet, but that's more based on the fact that other teams have been pretty poor. This is the uh, two lowest scoring teams in the Premier League, so... This is going to be um, a classic, isn't it, really? I mean, both teams are very similar as well, aren't they? So, as you said, it's like, uh, get the ball to Zaha, this is get the ball to St. Maxime and see what happens. And mm. I'm, I'm expecting this to be a pretty poor game, to be honest. Yeah, uh, Newcastle uh, level on goal difference with uh, the likes of Southampton, Aston Villa and Watford, all with minus 16, uh, the second worst goal difference in the Premier League at the moment. Obviously, the worst being a minus 24 for Norwich. Uh, let's move on then. You said about 40 being the magic figure for staying up. Uh, Sheffield United just need one more point to guarantee that they will be staying up. 
but their eyes will be on grander prizes again sorry Steve uh, with the possibility of Champions League going to <laughs> everyone's fifth. going for it <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that would just be absolutely fantastic and Brighton as well they, they've had a few wobbles uh, they're currently sitting on 27 points can we see Brighton uh, travelling to Sheffield United and getting anything seriously uh, no I think obviously Wilder's maintaining uh, this kind of demeanour of 40 points stay up 40 and no one really believes him uh, he's, he's almost laughing to himself while he's saying it at the minute but they do still have work to do if they want to complete this whole journey of getting into the Europa League between now and the end of the season but the most pleasing thing for Sheffield United of late is that when people have tried to dangle a bit of a leg or there's been the old cliched challenges thrown at them of coming off the back of an FA Cup game, coming off the back of a defeat when they lost to Manchester City, oh, are things going to, you know, the wheel's going to come off and they've either got a little bit of luck like they did against Crystal Palace with um, Gaeta, the Palace keeper, dropping one in his own net or an excellent performance as it was against Bournemouth. They fell behind early on, didn't panic, Wilder stuck to his guns, the players... One of the main things about Sheffield United is because they're so tuned into what Wilder wants from them, they don't start just knocking the ball long or panicking or giving away silly fouls or giving away possession. They've got a faith in what he's doing and he's got a faith in them to execute that. And that's why they don't panic. And that's why they're, they're better at not just the two promoted sides that came up with them last season, but sides around them in the table that inevitably would hit the panic button if they're a goal behind after an hour or 70 minutes. And I think... That served them well so far. I think it will serve them well again this weekend against Brighton. As you say, Brighton have improved a little bit, but still, for me, the jury's still out on Graham Potter. I get that he's a tactical improvement on Chris Hewton, but the output is not a massive amount of difference. Um, But Sheffield United, for me, will will win this and keep themselves right in Europa League and guarantee themselves the 40 points. And and possibly, again, sorry, Steve, Champions League as well. Uh, So as it stands, Sheffield United in, in sixth, uh, with 39 points and um, Brighton down in 15th actually uh, with 27 points uh, let's take a look ahead to Sunday and look at uh, United Manchester United mm. against Watford didn't go very well last time these two teams met for the United fans did it? It didn't it didn't and I, I in Bruges last night where Solskjaer was asked about that and he said that that was one of the lowest points of his season I think um, he felt they deserved to win that day but I think it, it that was a typical United, a typical example of where United are going wrong this season. Really, where there's just so inconsistent. Uh, they they get that result the other night at, at Stamford Bridge, and it's all encouraging. And then a performance against Bruges last night in the Europa League, where if it's not for just the opposition uh, for for a Bruges player throwing it, uh, making a mistake on a throw-in, basically, then they're not going to get that result, and they lose, and suddenly. Their involvement in the Europa League looks looks dodgy. So, um, I think for Sunday Watford, I w- I really wouldn't be surprised if if this was a one nil win for Watford. To be honest, because they, we've seen that how Nigel Pearson's improved them. We know that they they can be quite dangerous on the counter attack. We know more importantly than anything else, United's limitations when they're against teams who like to sit deep and and frustrate them. So um, to be honest, I, I'm almost I'm almost tempted to predict that yeah, Watford will win. Are you saying that Pearson is a better, more experienced manager than Solskjaer? He's a more experienced yeah, manager. He's, he's, he, is. he is a more experienced manager. Well, t- I mean, Solskjaer, there. There, there is this, there is there is a thing about Solskjaer where we kind of almost sometimes give him the benefit of the doubt. I know that sounds crazy given how much criticism he gets, but he has been a manager for like more than a decade. And he's actually been a manager in this division before and got relegated from it. And, and this seems to be forgotten when we talk about his inexperience or yeah, et cetera, et cetera. I think, um, yeah, 
there's an argument. I, I don't know if I'd make it, but some of my colleagues certainly make it where they'd say that is, is Solskjaer the least talented manager in the division? Like, is there any team that would employ him if he was on the market? Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's, I think it's a fair question. Um, yeah, so like I'm saying, like I'm saying, this is all the reason why I don't think that he's displayed that kind of tactical intelligence or flexibility to to beat these teams when they when they are just satisfied with sitting back and frustrating United, and and that's why I think that Watford could get a result. By the way, Liverpool have exactly double the amount of points of Manchester United. Wow, that oh. must stink. Seventy six to thirty eight. That's crazy. I that. just I was just going to ask Mark a quick question. Yeah. Good stat that I've dug out this morning. Odin Agallo scored on his first league start for Watford against Brentford back in 2014. He hasn't started a game for United yet. Yeah. If there was ever a time for cometh the man, cometh the Agallo, <laughs> do you see him starting? Like, obviously, there might be a few players rested after the Bruges game. Do you think he could start? I think I, I, I would be surprised. I think it's going to still be a little bit too soon. I actually thought before the Bruges game that that would be a good time for him to start. But the fact that he only was given, I think it was about half an hour in the end, I still think that he's not quite up to the fitness levels that's required for, for 90 minutes or, or even like 60 minutes, to be honest. So so it wouldn't surprise me if Martial was retained and uh, or maybe... Maybe Dan James or someone like that was starting up front. And Igalo, I imagine he'll get another another half hour. Yeah. yeah. Never mind fitness. I don't think he's been there long enough to meet the rest of the team yet, has he? Because <laughs> well, he has been training <laughs> on was, his own. And since he was quarantined in the yeah. taekwondo gym or whatever, yeah. Uh, so we'll move on from uh, a team that did rather well against uh, Manchester United earlier in the season to two teams that have beaten Manchester City this season. <laughs> uh, they play uh, on Sunday. That's uh, Wolves hosting Norwich. Now, Norwich uh, cut adrift at the bottom of the table. Wolves showing moments of greatness this season after a slow start. Can we see this going any other way? Um, not really, no. But it does kind of make a very good point about the table that Wolves are only like five points off the Champions League and they've only won one in nine you know, recently. So um, Wolves aren't in great form, but obviously that, uh, they only battered Espanyol, Espanyol and Europa League. So that's going to be um, a really nice kind of boon for them. Obviously, they're at home as well. And to be honest, uh, maybe beating uh, Man City is one of the worst things Norwich could have done because they've only won two games since then. Uh, the goals have all really dried up. You know, Timo Pukki doesn't seem to score anymore, um, and it seems a little bit hopeless um, for a pretty likable likable team. You've even got like rumours of Todd Cantwell, you know, being linked away now to Liverpool and things like that. You can't really see past um, a Wolves victory. Never scored a blinder the other day. I'm sure Triori would love to play against Norwich. Is unconfident defence at the moment. Uh, this just has comfortable Wolves victory written all over it. That's why it's going to be free nil Norwich probably. No, but um, <laughs> I, yeah, it, it. I mean, it can't really add much more than I think Wolves. This this is perfect time to play Norwich for Wolves. Just just to put a bit of scale on it for people that aren't uh, Norwich fans, uh, for Norwich to get out of the relegation zone, it would be the equivalent of City overtaking Liverpool as it stands point wise. They would need twenty three points uh, to get themselves uh, above that magic forty number. And uh, that's pretty much what City need at the minute to overtake Liverpool. You'll get to wow. this season. It seems like a lower. No, I don't effort. think it. 37 38, I, I think. People who are better at maths than me have, have said. Have <laughs> I, I'm not pulling that out myself. It just seems that there's there's been a lack of wins. Like you look at the numbers here for Norwich, Watford, and West Ham in, in the bottom three 14, 12, and 16 games respectively, they've lost. That that only means one direction. Like there's not they've not managed to win the odd game here and there or draw the odd game. They're just getting battered. Yeah, the the lowest point ever to stay up in the Premier League was back in two thousand and four, two thousand and five season. Thirty four points would have been enough 
to stay up that season. Wow. But they're still 16 points. That's almost double the points that they've got now. <laughs> Shows you how grim that situation is for them. Uh, so let's go to the last fixture of the weekend then, and that's Southampton playing host to Aston Villa. Yeah, this is an interesting one because Southampton were on a bit of a curve in the last few weeks, um, but they've then gone and dropped off, uh, which is disappointing because Arsenal kind of looked to have injected a bit of confidence in them. They seem to be moving in the right direction. He was getting goals out of not just Ings, he was getting goals from Shane Long. Nathan Redmond was clicking back into form. And then, I'm not going to say it kind of all went south by losing to Burnley last weekend, but there was fragilities that Burnley unmasked that will have concerned him. The way the goals went in, obviously the first one was absolutely ridiculous, the corner that flew in at the new, near post, and that was whatever storm we were dealing with last week. I can't remember Storm Dennis. Dirt, storm yeah, Dennis. Due, due to be another one coming as well. <laughs> Ed, really? Edmund? Yeah. Be on that. When is it going to be Storm yeah. Fergal? No, it's, That's what it's, I storm, it's Storm Ellis is due this weekend. Storm Ellis. Yeah. Um, well, which, well let's, let's hope it doesn't Did affect Southampton again. So what they do oh, yeah. is they, they yeah, go alphabetically the and then they switch from male to like female storm, names. Like, so Ellis is a woman's name. I thought it was... Ellis is a bloke's name. Yeah. Well, I I I know a comedian called Haley whose surname's Ellis. I know. Ellis really is definitely a bloke. This is like name top trumps. I mean, well, <laughs> I <laughs> yes, if you if you thought you were tuned into the weekend premiere preview, you've actually hit the wrong button and found the uh, meteorological office. According to Google, it's definitely a boy's name. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Thing is, we could all just be making that up. Like, you, like we we could pass it over to me and my my my, my mum's called Ellis. Yeah, yeah. Beat, that, yeah. beat that. Was Dennis actually Denise? Dennis Ellis. Denise, and that's where we got <laughs> yeah. it wrong. Um, football, Southampton, Aston Villa, Storms, ex- Storms, etc. Um, yeah, I I just think that the kind of little run they went on in the last few weeks is has died off a bit. Two two poor results for them, but then Villa again. This is why I think Villa are going to go down. Personally, is that they still try to go toe-to-toe with teams too mm. much. Uh, we saw that against Spurs last week. Yes, they've got really good players. Obviously, everyone's talking about Grealish. John McGinn, unfortunately, getting that injury and being out of the team. But they're still they're still trying to be, look at us, we're a Premier League team. You know, you have a goal, we'll have a goal. We've still got enough quality. At this stage of the season, that's not what it's about. You need to be on a much more steady footing in terms of going against teams like Tottenham. You can't have Tottenham scoring in the 94th, 95th minute with a fellow with a broken arm. And you know, yeah. then expect to be picking up the results that you ne- that you need to stay in the division. Um, they might get a point out of this. I think this could well be a draw. But uh, for me, Villa are still in trouble. Southampton should be okay, just because again, as I said, that that little block of six weeks ago when they built up a bank of points that will see them good moving on. But Villa are in trouble. Uh, so Southampton currently on 31 points level on points and goal difference uh, with Newcastle minus 16 just ahead of Newcastle on terms of uh, the amount of goals they've actually scored Aston Villa one point above the drop zone uh, but a win uh, could actually see them jump up to about 15th place so that's how it stands gentlemen thank you very much for joining me today Pleasure, uh, and uh, Pleasure, sharing, sharing your knowledge about storms and names and <laughs> I'll put some football in there as well uh, do remember there is a daily podcast out every day and as well as that we're also your go-to source of daily Premier League news with updates on all 20 teams every day all you've got to do is ask your Amazon Alexa device to enable sports social thanks for listening we're back with another show tomorrow Football Social Daily with German gourmet doner kebabs made with our signature sauces 